This week on the Great Outside Podcast, I have a special guest for Father's Day, my dad, Wayne. Our story of getting into the outdoors isn't your typical father-son story. Follow along as we talk about how I got my dad hooked on the outdoors. Waves are four to five feet swells in Creel Bay, but we were out there fishing and of I course- I remember that because we were over by Military Point. And that is the biggest fish that you had ever landed, but you didn't get to land because he broke the line at the boat. So at the time, John Deere in town here, and actually that's where this uh, boat originally came from years earlier. Um, I went in there and asked them if they would take a trade in, if I could trade in a tri-haul boat for a, an STX 38 rider. So we had bought a used jet ski and we thought, well, all right, maybe we could uh, give this a whirl. And the people that we bought it from said, well, we fish on this thing all the time. <laughs> Those have all been just Devil's Lake memories. Oh, exactly. We haven't even touched on a lot of the other stuff we've done, but you know, we've been to Montana elk hunting once. We've been to Colorado now three times elk hunting. Um, Wyoming antelope hunting. Those that probably haven't heard, I drew a mountain goat tag in Wyoming this year, so we're gonna head out there the beginning of August, and you know that's gonna be a daunting one, but we've got three months to try to get that done. And my dad's been along for a lot of these hunts. He's, I was with him when he got his first meal deer out in the Badlands here about five years ago. He was with me when I got my first elk and my first meal deer. Yep. So there's a lot of these uh, hunting experiences that we've been able to accomplish together and see each other's first. and. Welcome back to the Great Outside Podcast, everyone. As most of you know, this week is Father's Day, and I thought, what better way to mix up the podcast a little bit this week than to pay a little tribute to the guy that's kind of taught me a lot about the outdoors, my dad, Wayne. Um, not a lot of people know, know him very well, and you know, you've probably have seen a few photos of him out on the water, maybe an appearance or two in a couple fishing report videos, or of course he's in the fishing report intro when we're ice fishing out on, uh, I think that was Doc Haggins a couple winters ago. But anyways, he's the guy that usually is running the camera for fishing reports, um, taking the photos. He's learned over the years to take 10, 20 photos to get one good one, because I'm so picky about that stuff. So anyways, we thought we'd sit down this week and just kind of have a little discussion on, uh, you know, my childhood, his childhood, growing up in the outdoors, kind of, you know, we've got a unique story going. My dad and I have been fishing since I was a little toddler and goes way back to that day, but the unique thing a lot of people don't realize is when it comes to the outdoors, a lot of times the father is the one that introduces the son into hunting and we kind of have a unique story in that way where I kind of flipped the tables on you back when I was a, a youngster and got you into hunting and you got me into fishing. So I figured we'd uh, start off this podcast with a little introduction of you, um, where you're born and raised and you know, kind of uh, as you're bringing up in the outdoors what you had because I know it wasn't a whole heck of a lot. No, actually, uh, thanks for inviting me on the podcast, Tanner. Uh, this is kind of a humbling moment to be interviewed by your son, but thank you. Um, born and raised Wimbledon, North Dakota, uh, down between Jamestown and Valley City. Which, Wimbledon, North Dakota, to a lot of people, probably means nothing, but a lot of people I've seen in the last couple of years, uh, there's a tiny little lake down there called Spiritwood Lake, which you grew up fishing. And for those that are kind of trying to put um, Wimbledon, that area, on a map in reference to Devil's Lake, it's about an hour, hour and a half south. 80 miles south of us up yep. here in Devil's Lake. And that's the lake where all the Xander were being caught in the last couple of years. So just for reference, people didn't mean to cut my dad off. No, that's okay. Just to give people an idea on where Wimbledon really is in North Dakota. And I know a lot of people listening to this have seen the, the Xander that have been caught and kind of have been trying to chase those last couple of years. So that's uh, right in that neck of the woods. Yeah, so that's the lake that I learned how to fish on with my dad. And my 
older brother, my dad basically taught him hunting and he would take me fishing. So Spearwood Lake was ended up being the lake that we would fish on and my parents had a hardware store down in Wimbledon so he had a barometric pressure um, gadget at the store and when he'd be watching the barometric pressure he would say alright tonight we're going out fishing and I didn't know if the pressure was going down or if it was going up. Um, what I learned by on that lake and my dad passed away by the time that I was 12 years old but everything that I did with my dad was casting. There was no live bait. Everything was artificial. But having the hardware store, he had the neatest and the greatest uh, gadgetry for fishing because we had a hardware line, sporting goods line in our hardware store. So we used all that stuff out there trying to master the art of catching walleyes on that lake. Um, what other people don't know about that lake is that there were lake trout put in that lake many years ago and my dad actually caught one and my sister caught one, but I never did. Um, but by the time that, my, that I had reached the age of 12, um, my dad had passed away, so that kind of stopped the growing process with the great outdoors other than once in a while going out with a family friend or a cousin to go fish on that lake as well. Um, so really I was kind of removed from it until the time that we moved up here to Devil's Lake. And when we got up here in Devil's Lake, um, everybody said you live on Devil's Lake, you got to have a boat. So my first experience with uh, fishing Devil's Lake up here actually ended up being in about 1989, so that wouldn't have been when the lake has been totally shrinking in size. When I first moved up here, you used to put your headlights on during the day because the dust would be blowing so bad from the fields from being such a, a drought type of situation up here on Devil's Lake. So I bought a little 15 and a half foot orange and white tri-hull. The classic. Uh, yes, with a 50 horse Evinrude motor on it. And all spring when I bought it, I bought it from a gentleman out here by Woodland Resort and brought the thing home, was all excited, put it in our garage, spent all spring tinkering on it, putting in new carpeting, cleaning up the, the vinyl in it, waxing the outside, running the motor, to finally that grand old day of putting it in the water to take it for my first fishing expedition on Devil's Lake. And at that time, there was still a boat landing on the north side of Six Mile Bay. And I felt that would be a safe place to put the boat in for the first grand trial. So your mom and I hopped in this thing, we backed it in the water, had it tied up on the dock. And I had the boat running in the garage, right outside the garage with a garbage can with the earmuffs on it, I should say. But that day we backed it in the water, got it started up, backed it up from the dock, hit the throttle, straight forward, couldn't steer it, <laughs> smashed right into the dock. <laughs> So that ended the first fishing expedition. First outing. First outing on Devil's Lake, and I thought, what the heck? I checked everything out on that boat, but realized the steering was seized on it, and I didn't realize that, um, that it had locked up. So we had no steering whatsoever. So that was the first outing. It didn't work very well. <laughs> well, that would be quite the scenario going on. I could just about imagine mom and that. She was done for the day. She was done. No, it, it kind of goes back to that whole, you know, you know, this is the 11th podcast we've done, and it seems like every time we do a podcast, that's one thing is the barrier to entry getting into the outdoors. And, you know, whether you don't have that upbringing in it or things like that. So it's just another prime example of how it really is important to try for people like you as a kid that didn't have that, you know, in your teenage years to get that opportunity that we can pass that on and try to make a difference to anyone we can. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So then you roll the clock ahead a little bit. Um, we finally did get that boat on the water, finally got new string linkage in it. 
and we struggled. We did not know anything about this body of water up here. Um, the tactics that my dad had, he had an old 14-foot uh, aluminum boat with a five-horse Sea King engine, which it just so happened last week I found a picture of that old outboard motor. It's a 1962 vintage model. What the heck? Um, so we went out and we attempted to try to fish out here and we were not having any success. The only thing we remember catching one day out here was an albino, just a white little fish. We didn't have any idea <laughs> what it was. And at that time we were fishing out by the towers. Um, so that still goes back to the days when the towers bait shop and everything was still out there available that you could launch from out there. Um, eventually, uh, both you and, and I uh, hooked up with a friend of mine that said, you know, there are fish in this lake it's just, this is what you have to do. And that would have probably placed you about the age of five when we really started to focus on fishing this body of water and start to learn it. The only problem is, is that as soon as we started to learn it, it started to change with all of the influx of water coming in. But that was my introduction with getting you to explore and actually taste the great outdoors with fishing. But on the other side of the coin, what ended up happening was I had a very good friend of mine that brought his two sons over here that wanted to waterfall hunt. And we're going back to the time when you were three and four years old. And when they would come up here and want to waterfall hunt, we had an old Red Ryder BB gun and you would grab that thing and say, I'm going to go hunting with you guys. And you, and you were too young, you couldn't at the time. But, and I didn't have, I didn't own a shotgun. I didn't own anything, but they would come up spend the weekend at our place. I'd make phone calls for them to find a place where they could hunt, make them the breakfast in the morning before they go out in the field. And I'd go with them, but I would just kind of sit out there. And one thing led to another that you had expressed such an interest and such a passion that you wanted to be with us out there that I, by the time you were six and seven years old, you were out in the field with us, being a whole part of this whole- Just kind of uh, immersed in all of it. Yeah. And as that happened, I eventually went and did my hunter safety course, went and bought my first shotgun. And by the time that you were 10, 11, and by the time you did your hunter safety course, that whole thing had changed because then it became a calendar countdown to when the opening happened for youth hunt for both deer and for waterfowl. And then when the regular season hit, uh, it all of a sudden became you were telling your mom every time a duck that came in, because she would say, is that a greenhead? No, mom, it's a shoveler. And so, <laughs> well, I remember back to the days when we first started duck hunting, how we used to always, we had this little, I don't know what book brand it was, but little identification book, and we'd always shoot a duck. Then we'd have to walk back to our bucket, open up the book and realize what we shot. So we were pretty cautious to not shoot too many because we really struggled with IDing birds at first because we had no clue what was going on. but. I mean, I, I, we joke about that these days because ducks are flying by at 20, 30 miles an hour and like, oh, there's a pintail, there's a gold, like you just, you know that duck now. But yeah, we, we had a, a pretty sharp learning curve really quick there. Well, we did. I mean, but when it came to fishing on this lake, I mean, you can pretty much tell the tap, tap, tap of a walleye from the heavy shake of a northern. Mm -hmm. But when it came to the waterfall side of it, I mean, when they fly by at mock and at that time we were basically setting up uh, decoys and little puddles and, and hunting the sides of sloughs and how that has totally changed over the years to not climbing in the water to putting a field spread out, which you taught me how to do, because uh, I had no clue. Yeah. And that basically was through your friends that you had that 
we're sharing all this with you as you went along. So it's like, all right, you're that, teaching dad how to do this. That looked at us and said, why are you guys struggling with the mud and the, all that when you could just go throw a couple dozen vehicles in the field and lay in a blind and not have as much work and be comfortable and not worry about busting anything out of the roost or things like that. And we kind of took akin to that and eventually got ourselves a enclosed trailer and a couple dozen decoys and kind of fully submerged ourselves into field hunting. Exactly. And then after that, we ended up uh, upland game hunting without a dog. <laughs> Which a we whole, don't know how we did. A whole new learning curve again. You'd go out and chase roosters and, and you knew that you hit it but then it would be the, the ability to try to find the doggone thing uh, in the tall cattails or I, along the edges. I think the toughest part about us upland hunting without a dog growing up was not finding a spot to hunt, not finding the birds to get him up. It was after you shot a bird, finding the dang thing when it buried itself into the cattails or the reeds. And yep, exactly. That, the, was a, that was a whole new ball game. Oh, exactly. And then all of a sudden, now that you have your hunting partner, Gage, and... I mean, having the ability that you have spent hours and hours and hours with him, training him, which is very evident out on the field. If it's you and I engage out in the field hunting, he is glued to your side working with you. You can definitely tell that, I mean, he will share with me out there on the push, but his loyalty is to you, which is great. Um, and if it's just he and I out, if you're not around and I take him out so he can do, then he shares that same companionship to me out there as well, which didn't grow up with a lab, didn't grow up with a dog. So it's like, it's been a total, again, new, big learning curve. And that actually has brought us to the point where we would go here in the morning and do a pheasant hunt or a duck hunt. And then in the afternoon, try to go out and do a walleye bite. Our classic cast and blast, yeah, we like to call exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. And we had some pretty good success with it. Um, then all of a sudden we realized to expand our horizons a little bit that uh, you know, there's more to this state than just Devil's Lake. And we started reaching out to other areas to do some of that waterfowl and yep. upland well, game hunting. And thinking just back to the early days, you know, of course the fishing was in the area, but like when you talk about all the waterfowl hunting we did and deer hunting and even some of the beginning pheasant hunting, I mean, it was all within 20 miles of Devil's Lake. We didn't really travel very far. We kind of we're pretty lucky to be in this heartland of a mecca of outdoor everything. And even the trips we've been taking up until the last couple of years, you know, down in the southern part of the state, everything's still a day trip out of here for us. I mean, we leave at five in the morning, get there at sunrise and or a little after sunrise and spend all day chasing birds and we're back here by supper time. So it's everything here, which we're pretty fortunate of, is within a driving distance. To, it's doable in one day from Devil's Lake. Oh, exactly, exactly. And the best part of that is the lunch, usually. It is. Sometimes it's nice when you come back with the limit early and then you have the lunch and it's even more enjoyable. But no, it's, we've, had, we've been pretty lucky and it's just crazy to think that we're relatively new to this. I mean, 23 years of us just starting to, because I mean, if I started at five and I'm 28, 29, that, it's not like we had this whole buildup for the last 15, 20, upwards 50 no, years family. It was just, here we are. You were hooked with your Snoopy rod when you were probably between three and four years old. We were out at uh, Graham's Island fishing the pier and you have your little three foot Snoopy rod out there with you and we threw some bait on, casted it out, or you casted it out and we're sitting there and it's the middle of the afternoon and everybody around there has not had any luck with catching anything and here all of a sudden you're struggling trying to re <laughs> reel in your Snoopy rod and you bring in 
at least a 30 or a 32 inch northern. We didn't have a net, we didn't have anything along. Um, but the gal that was working at the bait shop came down and seen what you were struggling with. Um, so she wanted to take a picture of you with this fish and she took our address down and mailed it to us. So we have, and we still, Sue had just I, recently found that photo. I'm gonna have to, when we get done with our, our interview today, I'm gonna see if I can get some of those photos and we'll overlay them on the, the video so some people can kind of have some reference to what we're talking about. Yep. Because that, that Northern right there was, like you said, was caught at the old marina there at Graham's Island. And you know, when I was talking to Ryan Nelson from the park on the previous podcast, we were talking about that scenario. And you know, that place is 15, 20 feet underwater right now. And it's crazy to think that as a kid, I was fishing off the, the pier there and just how much that's changed and exactly thinking back to those days exactly exactly the one story i really thought was kind of interesting so a lot of people always think about jet skis as being a recreational vehicle and you know you go out there and it's just for pleasure but nope you know we i don't remember well you gotta tell people about how you traded the boat in for a lawnmower well we didn't have such good success with that uh tri-haul and we would take it on vacation with us for one week down in Minnesota and we would take that tri-haul down with us and we realized we put four people in there in a cooler uh, we couldn't get it on plane so we'd have <laughs> two people sitting up in the front we'd have to shift everybody to the back to get the front nose up and then we could take off and go um, so here it is 1993 and we had bought a different home here in Devil's Lake and we needed a bigger mower so at the time John Deere in town here, and actually that's where this uh, boat originally came from years earlier. Um, I went in there and asked them if they would take a trade in, if I could trade in a tri-hull boat for a, an STX-38 rider. And they said, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> so we ended up with a, a riding lawnmower for our other house here that we bought in Devil's Lake, and the boat was gone. And then, go ahead. Which is really funny because you think about you know, there's some memes going around Facebook and different things now that it shows non-fishermen's yards and it's perfectly manicured, beautiful, and it shows fishermen's yard when they're gone for the weekend. It's just weeds and it's growing everywhere. And so that just truly shows you how we weren't fanatical about fishing at that point because we're trading in a boat to have a lawnmower so we can make sure our yard is looking good and kind of pulling back on our fishing opportunities. Yeah, so then all of a sudden all the rage was the uh, jet skis. So we had bought a used jet ski and we thought, well, all right, maybe we could uh, give this a whirl. And the people that we bought it from said, well, we fish on this thing all the time. <laughs> so I bought some telescoping collapsible fishing rods that you could telescope down to very short. So you could put them in a little cubby up in the front and we had a little collapsible or a little folding plastic, I don't know, holder that we could put our uh, tackle in. And the three of us would go out on this thing and try to fish. It did not work. And basically we ended up losing fishing rods and temper started to flare. Sanity. Yeah, because it was like one person was sitting, casting out front. We had one person flipped around on a three-seater, casting off the back. Then the one in the center was kind of just out of luck. I couldn't even imagine just throwing one full-size adult and trying to fish off a jet ski, let alone two adults and a kid. Yep. So we did that two, three times and we figured that isn't gonna work. And that's when we, got really introduced to the friend of mine that started taking us out and, and we made a pack with him that we would go out once a week. His daughter was the same age as you and I think you guys at the time were probably about seven and it became once a week, it was either Tuesday mornings or Friday mornings, but every week for four hours we would go out and fish Devil's Lake and that's where we really started to learn 
about this body of water. And my job was always to launch Jeff into the water with the boat with you guys in it and then park the trailer. And I'll never forget, probably the third time that I had uh, parked his trailer and I was backing it up into the uh, boat ramp, which is on the east side of Highway 20, if they call it the East Bay or East. Yeah, East Bay Recreation Area there, East Bay. Well, I was backing it up in the parking lot, and as I started backing up, I heard a kabang. I didn't see a thing. I get out of the vehicle, I look back, and it's like, oh, there's no damage. So we went out and fished, and we did very well that day. We caught our limit, and then when we came in, I had to back that trailer up to load you guys back up. And I couldn't back the trailer up, because when I originally had backed the trailer up into the parking lot, what I did not see was a cutoff stump and I hit the back axle of that trailer on it and bent the tongue. So it was in a V-shaped buckle. So when I backed it up, the trailer just automatically went to the, <laughs> to the side. To the side. We finally managed to get that thing in the water and get the boat back on it, but I trashed his tongue. <laughs> and apparently it had been hit before because there's no reason that thing should have busted right there, but we laughed and laughed and laughed about that for a long time. See, it's the things like that that you'll never forget for the rest of your life. And no, nope. if I'm not mistaken, I think the only thing we did back then for fishing was bottom bouncers and spinners. We didn't really do any bobbers, if I remember right, or even any pitching. We didn't. And then towards the end, when we were with uh, them out there fishing, uh, we started to learn how to tie up in vertical jig. And that was more along the old bridge that was uh, capsized out here along Highway 20 and 57. Um, or we started to tie up in the trees and start to jig, mm -hmm. which that was uh, a whole new learning which curve again. Just shows to go, you know, some people are thinking these are some of the simplest of tactics, but for people listening that haven't done a lot of this or want to start doing this more with their family, especially with everything going on, like it's not, it seems intimidating, but it's not a daunting task to get your family yourselves into this industry and start fishing and start learning. And, you know, if you've never driven a boat before, you get comfortable with it and it just takes time. But, you know, it's something that I think is, builds a person. Oh yeah, then eventually we became kind of diehards with the fishing part of it because it didn't matter if the wind started to pick up and get stronger, we would still go out. And back in, I believe it was 2000, when that uh, severe weather came through on that Friday night and uprooted a lot of trees in town and there was damage east of Devil's Lake, that Friday night we ended up going out into Creole Bay and we decided to fish again with uh, Jeff that night. And that night it was just the three of us in the boat, but it was so rough out there. Another one of those nights that you'll never forget because I got sick on the boat because of the waves were four to five feet swells in Creole Bay. But we were out there fishing and of I course- I remember that because we were over by Military Point. And that is the biggest fish that you had ever landed, but you didn't get to land because he broke the line at the boat. And it was a very large northern. And we could not get him in the net. We could see him. We could see him three times with the swell smacking us, and I ended up kneeling down, and that's when I got sick in the boat um, from this motion sickness. But I'll never remember. I'll never forget. We came in that night, and I had a life jacket on. And when we got up to the shore, I went to hop off the boat <laughs> and step onto the dock, and I slipped, <laughs> and I landed right in the water in two feet. <laughs> with my life jacket on, laying there, drenched. I thought you were gonna say you got up on shore and kissed the ground when you made it. Oh no, I ended up in the water and everybody had a busted a gut and started laughing, but then that night when we got home, I think we had two fish to show for it. 
um, and that's the night that the storm hit it. It was just a major, there was a lot of disaster in town. Like straight line winds that came. Straight line winds, yep, yep. No, that's and that that was a great night, and I I vaguely remember. I don't remember how old I was. I remember the fishing there and having the big fish, and it's just it was a lot of fun. It's either two thousand or two thousand and one, but it's so yeah. Hard to believe that was over almost twenty years ago. Exactly. Time flies. It does. Yeah, so no, we've we've had some good experiences on Devil's Lake and we really didn't get back into boat fishing, you know, until probably 2000, what would that have been, about 2010. We were shore fishing pretty much from there on. I mean, we would go out and yep. Friday, Saturday nights or even during the week and just go to Six Mile Bay or yep. Mave Cooley. And what was really cool is we were watching a, some homemade videos here a couple months ago and you filmed when... Um, the flooding took place back in the early 90s and there's videos of you driving your car through water over in the Narrows and on the old Golden Highway which is really tough to fathom when you think about we're trolling on there or vertical jigging in 20 feet of water and you know 25 years ago you were driving your car on that road and just to see that how much has changed and you know it's tough for me to recollect it because I was in a young age but for you to remember some of that it's been probably pretty cool to see. Oh it was it was and it was just like how much this has changed. I mean, then I'd take you out in the vehicle and I'd be driving around and, and videoing it. And we were actually um, out by 20 and 57 when they were starting to build up that road out there and sitting and waiting for the pilot car to get us through the water, driving through on, I want to say it was Highway 20 that was going through where they were starting to push the, the fill back in to build mm -hmm. that road back up. Um, just to imagine that I mean, now when you think back to it, it's like it seems like it's eons ago, but it wasn't that long ago that that was a totally different picture out there. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, we, we were fortunate, the same family that we did a lot of fishing in their boat with allowed us at one of their lake lots to put a, a dock out, and we used that for a lot. I mean, I was in middle school, and I think it was probably right around freshman year of high school. It was probably the last time we had the dock there. But, I mean, a lot of people think, ah, it's just dock fishing. But we probably had some of our best nights at fishing right off that dock, and I vividly remember... Um, the one night the fish was actually on the wall over there. It was yep. Mr. and Mrs. J's restaurant for a while, but yep. we were there and we were just slip bobbering and I mean it was six feet of water with stumps everywhere and I remember thinking that night and I asked you, do you think there's any whoppers around here? And sure <laughs> enough, like 30 minutes later your bobber goes under and it's a big fish and it gets up to the side of the dock and it's weird to say that because it's not like the side of the boat, but the side yep. of the dock. And yep. Here I am as a little, I don't know, 12 year old trying to net this 29 inch walleye and the first time it came up I missed with the net and then I felt bad because I was you know, like, I, usually you get one chance at a fish like that and it came back and sure enough I was able to get them in the net for you and that was the biggest walleye I think you've ever caught. It was. It and, was the biggest one I ever caught. And then mom, yep. a year later, which is the fish right behind us here, catches that 28 inch walleye off that same dock. Exactly. So it just goes to show you how good the fishing really can be from shore. I mean, it's tough to think about, you know, you always want to be in a boat, but half the time you really don't. Like this morning, you know, we just went out and threw bobbers and Lindy Riggs. I mean, it wasn't the best of fishing this morning, but it, it, you don't have to go spend an hour and get the boat ready if you need to after work. You can just drive out and wet a line really quick and still have opportunity of catching fish and quality fish at that. Exactly. And then the other thing too is that this lake is a 365-day-a-year lake to fish. Because the other thing that Tanner did for me is he got himself, he convinced me that we should buy a ice house. And it was a pop-up. And he said, we'll go half and half on this. And we're going to 
go do some ice fishing in the wintertime. And I was really hesitant about it because my only experience on ice fishing out here was early ice. And that would have been back when we first moved here, uh, the winter of 87, 88. Uh, friends of ours from Valley City would come up here and they ice fished up here all the time, but they always wanted early ice. And I remember going out and walking out on the ice by Military Point where they were all ice fishing. And I said, I'll meet up with you guys out there. And as I walked out to where they were, they were all standing on sheets of plywood. And it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? And they said, well, the ice is pretty thin. And it's like, uh, that cured me right there. I did not want to be out there because I was like, I need thicker ice than that to stand on. So that kind of cooled my jets for a lot of years until, again, you wanted to go out and do the ice fishing thing, which I had no experience with whatsoever. And I think our first day ever ice fishing together was when we went to Olford's Bay on Christmas Eve, I believe. It was. I was... It must have been like a sophomore or so in high school, somewhere around that ballpark. And I remember we took the four-wheeler from the house and drove down there and you had your life jacket on and yep. I couldn't catch a fish, but you sure lit the Northern up that day. And I made a little YouTube video on it, Yep. had a little remix to Ice Ice Baby going yep. with it, but that was, I think, our first time together on the ice. It was. So yeah, and you know, going back to thinking, you know, 12 years ago or so was the first time we ice fished together and, you know, you're pretty cautious about that and we slowly kind of got you into it and then to think now here we are 12 years later and you finally got out ice fishing by yourself and for a lot of people that don't know you that's a big step for you yeah because i my favorite thing of, with ice is i like it in my glass <laughs> that was that was always the ongoing joke the only ice my dad liked was in his glass yep so but i thought all right this is the this is leap year so it was february the 29th and i i made myself put myself together and went out and fished the morning um, out on uh, out by Doc Hagen's, I guess. Didn't turn out to be a successful morning with catching a lot of fish, but I uh, did it and can say I did it. And I wanted to be it on a date that I would never forget. So the 29th of February this year was my first outing out on the ice by myself without anybody out there with me. So well, hopefully we don't wait another four years for the next time you go out by oh, yourself. No. But oh no, you're getting the hang of it pretty good now. I mean we. Got ourselves each of XLR and we've got, I've got an auger, you've got an auger. So now if, you know, I'm fishing somewhere else or not around, you've got, you've got your own stuff to use. And we've kind of really morphed into that now. We did, but it kind of freaked me out when you and I did go out the first time this winter, which was actually after the first of the year when you and I finally got out and we made our way out on the ice and you were using a side-by-side uh, -side ranger. And when we hit the ice that day we were going through slop and it's like for as cold it has been how could there be slop along the side of the lake here and i was sharing that with a gentleman here about a month later our fishing outing that day and he said well you know with all of the heavy precipitation and that snow that we had last fall he said the water is going up over the course of the winter i never even gave that a, a thought so it's like well that's why we're hitting all these soft pots yeah i thought we were going down for sure so you just gotta hit the floor and give her a little gut boost yeah no kidding it through yeah but i remember that day because it was kind of funny we were we went out and we set up the pop-up and we were fishing probably for i don't know probably 20 minutes or so half hour and you know we were probably a half hour after sunrise so i mean we kind of missed that first little window but we were marking a few fish, but we weren't really getting any bites. And we were just wondering, like, maybe it's going to be one of those days where they're just not active. And lo and behold, about 35, 40 minutes into it, I had one bite and it was a perch. Yep. And I'm like, well, what the heck? So I had to take a photo because it might be the only fish for the day. And then the next fish is like a 14, 15 inch walleye. It's a keeper. I'm like, okay, we're getting somewhere. 
And then the next fish hit, and I remember the rod going, and I'm like, oh, I can't really move this thing. And I'm like, this is a fish. And I start reeling it, and I'm like, I think it's a walleye. It's not acting like a pike or anything like that. And we were fishing only in 14 feet of water, so it didn't take long to get the fish up to the hole, but it ended up being about a 26 inch walleye. And when it came up, and the head hit the bottom of the ice, and didn't hit the bottom of the ice, but it got into the hole and we could see it. We both kind of like froze in time like, well, what do we do? Like, I wasn't expecting it to be that big of a walleye. And yeah. that's just, it's crazy to think fish will do that to a person. But yeah, we both sat there and then I kind of looked at you and I'm like, well, are you going to help me grab it out of the hole? Like, <laughs> yep. So it's, those memories are, are great. And also after that fish came out of the hole and we did your pictures and then did the release, it was like that kind of cemented that day because after that big fish came through, it was done. I mean, you know, it was full light outside and it was pretty much over, but it was a very fun morning, except the nervous part of going back up to shore again for those yep. slush pockets. But. but we kind of avoided that. I mean, we, you know, that's the nice thing about having these GPSs we do and kind of following your track. We ended up skirting around that little pocket and we're all right. But yeah, it was a cold morning. I remember that. It was cold. But then I also remember, you know, talking about just fishing stories and things like that. There was a day I would have been, I was probably, I think when I saw it, it was back in 2000 and was it 14? Somewhere about that ballpark. It was the first time I broke a big, I caught a big walleye that was, it was 28 inches. And we were fishing early May. Um, New Mill Bay was where we were actually fishing. And that was the first day we were out in the boat that season. And I remember because we hit this one point and we started pitching and I caught a white bass. And then about 10 minutes later, caught a pike and no walleyes. And we had probably an hour or so of fishing time left. And we skirted across the bay and went into this really small little back nook of the bay. And we were basically just made a whole U going through there, just pitching to the weeds, pitching to the weeds, pitching to the weeds and no success. And we kind of came on the back end of the U and we're coming back out and kept pitching to the weeds. I'm like, well, why do we have to pitch to the weeds? Why wouldn't I just throw to the middle of the bay? Why? Let's try, I'm gonna try something different, deeper. And I threw it into the middle of the bay and I just gave one crank in the reel and I'm like, oh, I got a fish. And then I'm like, a big fish. And I kept thinking it was gonna be a pike the way it was acting. And then it got up to the side of the boat and we're like, we both stopped and we're like, it's a walleye. Yep. So it's, you just never know, especially with spots you go to. And you know, we, I think I've told this story before, but this one was actually two years ago in May, we were fishing the north end of Six Mile Bay and we were pitching a weed line and it was right at sunset. You'd caught actually a pretty nice 23, 24 inch walleye. I think we had one keeper that we kept for eating and then a couple of pike and we were coming to the end and we probably had maybe 150, 200 yards to go till we hit the peninsula of this weeds. And we're like, we get to that point, that'll be done. Like the couple more, well, more than a couple more casts is gonna be probably 15, 20 casts, but we we're just trolling along there. And once we hit that point, we we're gonna head back to the boat ramp. And you know, it wasn't a more than three, four casts after I said that, it was another one of those pitching into two feet of water and every other cast you're snagging on something or getting weeds and cast it and set the hook and I'm like, ah, oh, that's a snag. And then all of a sudden you just feel that subtle move of the rod tip. You're like, ah, that's a fish. Yep. And that was another fun one in four or five feet of water. And that one ended up being like a 28, 29 inch walleye. And again, you were running camera for the fishing report video and I'm eating sandflies trying to release it. Yeah, that was kind of funny because you were swallowing them as you were talking. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is live. It, <laughs> you just roll with it because yep. there's no redoing that. And so no. it's just all those memories that we've been able to create are going to be everlasting. and. Those have all been just Devil's Lake memories. Oh, exactly. We haven't even touched on a lot of the other stuff we've done, but you know, we've been to Montana elk hunting once. We've been to Colorado now three times elk hunting, um, Wyoming antelope hunting. Those that probably haven't heard, 
I drew a mountain goat tag in Wyoming this year, so we're going to head out there the beginning of August, and you know that's going to be a daunting one, but we've got three months to try to get that done. And my dad's been along for a lot of these hunts. He's, I was with him when he got his first mule deer out in the Badlands here about five years ago. He was with me when I got my first elk and my first mule deer. Yep. So there's a lot of these uh, hunting experiences that we've been able to accomplish together and see each other's first. And last year I was able to witness you get your first bull elk, which was a quite incredible and that was uh, ah that was just a bowl of a lifetime for a first on over counter the tag too that just unbelievable was amazing and we kind of made a pack together probably about it was five years well 2012 is when we went on our antelope hunt so yeah right after that we made a pact of you know we're going to either go out west with our bows and hunt mule deer every year and then the years that we can we're going to go elk hunting or do whether we travel out of state, we're just going to go west and do some kind of hunt while you're able, physically able to do that. And I think you're in better shape than me for a lot of these hunts because you're out walking four or five miles every day and running every so often. And, you know, you, you helped pack the bull out this last fall. And for for someone like you to be able to do that was really a, a cool experience. And I, I wish I had the photo right now to show people, but uh, your unique setup to cross the river, my dad's bull ended up, when it fell, it was probably... It was about a it was about 270 yard shot but it was across a river that was about waist high so we had to go back the next morning with waders on and we had to improvise because jared our guide and myself had kind of basic waders and we didn't have any other ones so you just had footies <laughs> <laughs> which you looked like aquaman walking into the water to go oh yes go over and start quartering out the bull but all those experiences are just what it's all about. No, it was an experience of the lifetime. And not falling, walking across the river, and they had just released water from the reservoir uh, in that area, apparently, because there was a lot of silt on top of those rocks where we were walking, and it was, it was slippery. And, and not only is it slippery, but you've got your rifle, which is, that rifle we were using at Gunworks is probably eight pounds or so, maybe 10. Then you've got 60 to 70 pounds of elk meat in your backpack going across here. So every step is very delicate. Yes, it was. And the footies had leaks in them. <laughs> I, I was cold, it was 29 degrees, and my boots, even though I had everything cinched up, they were full of water. Um, it took two days on boot dryers to get those things dried out. It didn't matter, it was an experience of the lifetime, and I got to experience it with you. Same way that when you harvested your first one out there, um, something that you'll never be able to recreate, but the memory to it lasts a lifetime and it's irreplaceable. I mean, it is. You, can't, you can't put a dollar value on it. And uh, just the fact that, you know, one thing I think is really great, what we do is, you know, we have all these hunts to look forward to, but we also, like, we don't go crazy in the off season with hitting the weight room and all this stuff, but we like to keep physically active. And I think it's been quite amazing to see you do that. I mean. Not a lot of people know probably the fact that uh, you used, I don't know if people want to know this, but you used to smoke and you lost 30 pounds. You've been smoke free for six years. And actually that was the whole idea behind this big game hunt. You told me that if I'm gonna get up there in the mountains and get into the lighter air that uh, you're not gonna have lung capacity to, to do it. So it was like, well, there's the incentive that I need to get off smokes. So. Um, yeah, smoke free for six going on seven years. But then after I quit, I put all the weight on and then all of a sudden it was like, well, now I'm going to have to figure out how to get the weight back off. So it started being just a daily walk 
four miles, but then eventually it became walking and then trying to figure out how to jog to try to help burn the calories, get that weight back off. And I have a gentleman that is in his early 70s that has had triple bypass surgery that runs marathons. And I went to him to say, how, how can I do this? This is something I really want to do. I want to be able to go out and go out and experience these hunts in the mountain. And how, do I, how am I going to get myself into shape with what, what I got here? And he basically kind of gave me a, a guideline to work with. And he said, all you got to do is get yourself to run between one telephone pole to the next and take a break. And, and actually my stepfather-in-law said the same thing. He said, start there. And he goes, eventually you'll build up endurance where yeah, now it, it's not easy, but I still do it because I know I need to look forward to the upcoming hunting season. And there's, for me, it's not something to start and stop. So I just stay with it. Yep. You it know? almost goes along to what we did getting in the outdoors. It wasn't just, all right, we went, bought all the decoys and everything and just how do we we slowly started and built up and just got into it and learned and yep. i mean when we did the hunt with your mule deer and learning how to use the onyx maps and you know the public land out in the western part of the state and to think about that 10 years ago that i would have no clue what we're doing out there but just you know going with people and the guides we've learned from and all that you just every time you go out there you learn something and it just really helps to build that. Oh, I know. And getting back to that mule deer hunt that we did out in the, the Badlands, um, family friend of ours, he is from that area. And we ended up going out and talking to his dad out there that has land. He's a rancher out there. A rancher out there. And he kept underneath the suspicion that when we went out to meet with them that we wanted to hunt on his land. And basically I said, no, we don't want to hunt your land. I said, I just want to have somebody out here that I can talk to to get a better understanding because I said, well, no, this is going to be a public land hunt. He goes, you don't want to hunt my land? And I said, no, we don't. He goes, well, that's a first. He goes, everybody comes to ask me. I said, that's not what we're after. I said, well, we want to know if we can do this as a public land hunt. Well, by the time that we were done, he kept offering things that if we needed. His that, loader if we needed to skin the deer and yep. checking in with us. And, you know, we even, you know, I hope someday he takes us up on it, but we said, you know, for all your assistance everything, we'd love to get you guys out here in Devil's Lake and hop in the boat with us for a day or two yep. and let's go walleye fishing. And exactly. I think that's one thing this industry has shown to me a lot too is, you know, you just meet a lot of people and, you know, people be like, hey, come on over to Wisconsin and let's go salmon fishing and I'll take you over here to Devil's Lake and go walleye fishing. And some of the best people are around in this industry and just being able to swap different trips and stories and scenarios and ideas and stuff like that's been pretty cool. Oh yeah, and then he so we looked at the grassland map and he kind of explained the whole story out there and you know the Montana season opened a little sooner than the North Dakota side so a lot of times you have some of these muleys that'll come across because they got pressure on the Montana side and he's right on the border. Um, and then we kind of he kind of drew some stuff out on the, the grasslands where he's had people out there before that he shared. So we took that all into account and then when we were done we gave him some fresh Devil's Lake walleye that we had just caught. And he goes, do you want me to keep this? And I said, yeah, exactly. He goes, well, do you guys want to come back and hunt pheasants then? And I said, no, <laughs> no, we're just here. We just wanted some help just to kind of get an understanding. Yep. Um, but I did call him after we were done because he was disappointed. We never stopped in afterwards because we were successful out there, but I told him we didn't need to. We, we packed it out, got everything done and just gracious for his hospitality to, to be willing to help. And it goes a long ways. It does, it does. So, so yeah, so we've, we've had quite the experience in the last 28 years or so of uh, just getting involved in the outdoors and, you know, with Father's Day weekend coming up, I hope everyone has the opportunity to enjoy some time out in the water or anything with your, with your dad and 
you know, not just your dad, but your whole family. It's, you know, one of those years where I think everyone's kind of taking a step back and slowing down and realizing what's important in life. And, you know, it's all those important things that'll always last a lifetime. And I'll remember all these, the fish, the ducks that we've been able to hunt and specific things. And it's just, it's what makes a person. Exactly. Exactly. And again, it's a, the memory is there forever. It is. You'll never, ever forget about it. So, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add, or if I'm trying to think if we had any other stories that we've had from. I mean, I know we've got a lot of stories, but they're all over the board. I mean, I, they are. <laughs> we've been frustrated. We've been happy. We've been. I think one of I, I would like to end with this story. I think the one best one is, um, and that deer used to be right around the corner here. It wasn't a monster buck by any means, but it was one of those that it had a story behind it. I think I was my senior year of high school. We were hunting a. It was actually a piece. Of yeah, it was a piece of public land north of town. Yep. And I had shot this buck, and it, I, I figured I'd hit it because you could hear the thwop of the, the bullet hitting the, the deer. And, of course, we only had one pair of waders. I don't even know why we had waders in the vehicle for whatever reason. But where I had shot it was about a 140-yard shot, and there was a piece of water between us, and he was almost on this little island. And that was the year all these deer were running through water, and I think we just had a super wet fall. And We did. So I threw the waders on and walked over there to go find this deer, and he ran, I think it was back to the west, and ended up going through another little part of water, and sure enough, there he was laying in the second little spot. So there was two, there was a piece of water, an island, and another piece of water, and he was on the other island behind there. And so I was able to drag him through the first hundred yards of water, get him to the island, and I was just exhausted and I couldn't do it anymore. And we didn't have any other waders and there was no way you were going to be able to do it by yourself because he was starting to get waterlogged and everything. So kind of let you take the rest of the story from there. So I ended up basically heading out <laughs> with just my boots on, long johns and my hunting pants. And I walked through the water and at points it was knee high up to waist high. And it was probably 20 degrees out. It was cold. And it was windy and it was snowing. And finally I got up to where you were at and we grabbed that thing together and we drug it all the way back to the truck. And when we got it to the truck, we took, we took pictures. I was an absolute icicle, but then we field dressed it, got that thing loaded, and then I had to strip down because I had to put on your extra set of clothes that you had along and get everything else off because I was actually frozen to the bone. And we got back that afternoon here to the house and uh, I never felt so good to get in some warm clothing and get out of that. I think we had to sit in the hot tub. We did sit in the hot tub out, but it was like, oh my God. And that was one of those experiences where, like I said, it wasn't a big deer by any means, but it was like we got back and I'm like, I have to I have to put that one on the wall just for the fact of every time I walk by that deer now I think about that day and that story and but that walk over to it to where you were was 20 minutes and then the walk back <laughs> another 20 minutes walk through that water and it was cold absolutely but it was well worth again that memory the experience you harvesting that beautiful buck that day um, I never would have thought we'd have found that thing out there just the way the weather was coming in. It was late in the season. It was almost like an early November blizzard coming through. Yep. And I believe it was on the last day of the season, on a Sunday when we did that. So, yeah. So now it was, it was a great day and 
And I'm looking forward to the summer, a few more days on the water. We'll get out and do a little walleye fishing. And before you know it, we'll be in Wyoming hunting uh, billy goats. And Exactly. Yeah, uh, you actually drew a North Dakota cow elk tag this year. So we've got that. Yes. Um, get Gage out and do a little. So we've got a, a busy four or five months ahead of us here. So I think it's going to be another great, great hunting season for 2020. And I uh, encourage everyone to get out and do what we're doing. And I would just say that, you know, from the experiences that we've had with our hunting and the fishing, um, success is not measured on what you harvest. The success is the experience, the time, the quality of time that you get to spend together because you never know when you don't have that time anymore. Yep. So. Like when we spent, you know, we went on a set, uh, it ended up being a six day or seven day elk hunt in Montana. It was just raining every day. And I think we spent probably of the, let's just say it was seven days. I think we spent four of the seven days in a box blind, just sheltered from weather for yes. 10 hours. But you know, you get to learn a lot about each other and exactly. spend a lot of quality time. And we drove back from that hunt and we we're just like, you know what? May have not have been the outcome we wanted, and but the experiences we learned from it and everything has made it the trip of a lifetime, no matter how. Yeah, when I think back to that particular hunt, I still think that was probably our best hunt ever. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because we never fired a shot. It, it was, we didn't harvest anything, but it was just the quality of the time. I mean, it was you, it was the outdoors, um, getting to learn each other way more than who would ever thought. Or when we went on your elk hunt in Colorado, not this last year, but the year before that, to fall of 18, and we did a 14-day road trip where we <laughs> took a week and went to Moab, Utah and hiked around there. We went down to the Grand Canyon. We went to the four corners of Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah. Yep. Those four corners. And then we went over to Telluride, and we just explored before we went on our five-day hunt. And that was, I think mean, we put on like somewhere of like 35, 104,000 miles in 14 days. And it was exhausting, but it was one of those like, it was the trip of a lifetime again. So we've been able to do some. And we were still talking to each other when we got home. We were, we weren't in any fights. No, nothing. So it was, it was really worth it. It was. So thank you for joining me this week for the podcast. You're and, welcome. Uh, on the Father's Day special for the great outside. And hope everyone else gets to enjoy some time with their fathers this weekend and their sons. And um, stay tuned next week. We'll have another guest on. Thank you. You bet.